Hey Randy, it's theme week on Mind the Product. We're talking about product careers. There are articles all over the site, product tech talks, a Q&A and more. Yeah, and you know, Billy, we've also got a podcast on the topic, you know, this one. We've hmm. talked with others about this topic before, though. We've talked to Jackie Bavaro and Tor Mitchell, Alicia Dixon and Christian Idioti, and, and I'm sure there's more. But we've got a totally different take on it today. We're finally going behind the curtain to get the view of product from the C-suite. Ooh, 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 this is super exciting. We're chatting to Tanya Cordry. She's been a senior exec in product, digital and marketing, a board member and so much more. So stick around if you want to hear what they actually say behind your back when you leave the room. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, wonderful to be here today. So for anyone who hasn't had the joy of working with you, can you just give us a little quick introduction? Uh, what do you do now and how did you get into this whole world of product related stuff? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so nowadays I live a wonderful portfolio career, which is a mixture of consulting and doing board work. So I'm on the board of various companies like Clark Shoes. I'm on the board of a FTSE 250 JP Morgan Investment Trust, which invests in new and emerging companies in Europe. Uh, I'm on the advisory board of gov.uk. Uh, and in terms of consulting, uh, I sort of head up Europe for a fantastic US consultancy called AKF Partners. Very few people in Europe have heard of them, but they are an amazing group of ex-Silicon Valley CTOs, CEOs, CPOs, who really help organizations understand technology, how do they grow, how do they build great teams. And they have an amazing client roster, such as Walmart, Pixar, LinkedIn, um, investors like Sequoia, Silver Lake, et cetera. So they're amazing. And um, I've had a lot of fun working with them over the last couple of years. And how did you get into all this? Ah, so uh, how did I get into all of this? Well, I started life actually as a journalist. Uh, so something very different. And I worked for a whole bunch of very unsexy magazines, writing about things about transport, etc. Had an amazing time, but I wasn't wedded to my pen. Went off, did a MBA at London Business School, and then did a typical post-MBA job where I ended up running the strategy team of what was then called BBC News and Current Affairs. And then, showing my age, dot-com boom hit. And uh, that's where I first started getting exposed to the wonderful world of product. So my very first job was working for a now defunct company called eToys. Um, so most people listening to this probably aren't old enough to remember eToys, but it was a sort of internet giant of dot-com boom one. And I was hired to head up 
growing uh, company called Baby Center they had acquired in the US, which was for new and expectant parents. So anybody who's had a baby probably has used Baby Center. Um, and I helped set that up in Europe. I was appointed as the general manager and worked with an amazing team. And after that, unfortunately, went defunct. We sold Baby Center to Johnson & Johnson. I loved it so much. I went and did the same thing again. But this time I joined a new and emerging company called eBay really a long time ago. So eBay was kind of a exponential growth. Uh, and I did a few different jobs at eBay, but for the vast majority of the time I was there, I ended up running product at eBay, which was an incredible experience because when I first started doing product, the role of the product teams in country was really about localization. Um, but we really changed the role of product and this was sort of mirrored and done all across other eBay countries as well where we had to focus on our users and really understand what were the products we needed to build in country to be a success and one of the ones we did which i think was really shows the power of being a product leader um, sometimes even when you're in a satellite operation is that i was one of the leaders that led the initiative to argue for introducing fixed price selling on ebay at the time it was only auctions the us headquarters thought it was a terrible idea because it would cannibalize the business but they were very true to the concept that the country was like an independent business unit so they allowed us they said if all the overseas countries allow you to agree to this idea of introducing fixed price selling you can do it so that's what that's what myself and a couple of other people did. We persuaded everybody that introducing fixed price was a great idea and, and introduced it. And within a matter of, I think it was almost a matter of days of introducing it across uh, all the countries outside the US, the US eBay team suddenly did what was called a 911 project to introduce it into the US. And obviously um, it became very quickly a phenomenally large contributor to revenue so you've seen product really from from all aspects from ground level but you've also held a number of c-level positions and board positions yeah i'm curious yep. what 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 mistakes do you see product people routinely making from that view from that table well it's interesting because i spent um i think probably the mistake i've seen most and i think when i i ran product and engineering at The Guardian for several years where I was the chief digital officer. And I think the, the issue I saw there, and I repeatedly see it over the last few years with doing the consulting work, is that teams are often just not bold enough. Um, I think teams can really default over time to what is known or what is safe. And as a result, they end up uh, doing work that is good but potentially not great uh, one of the things i really like to kind of remind teams and remind product managers is that a good idea is not the same as a great opportunity um, in fact i've never met a team that has a shortage of good ideas there's always too many good ideas so just because something's a good idea doesn't necessarily mean that you have to work on it and i think um, often one of the mistakes is that teams don't think about the opportunity cost of what they're doing so I would urge teams to really have that discussion. Product managers really ask themselves as well, are they being bold enough? Are they doing uh, enough for both their users and the company? Do you think that um, 
also needs to come from the leadership in the business though to encourage that type of thinking from the product teams definitely um without a shadow of doubt i i think that's a a really interesting point because one of the things i learned when i was working at the guardian is i was there at an amazing period of time where you had wikileaks you had snowden uh all these incredible stories and um, I know The Guardian can be a, somewhat of a Marmite brand, but without a shadow of a doubt, at that time, with the editorial led by Alan Rusbridger, there was no um, question on the editorial team's ambition. They would hold power to account, however powerful, wherever in the world. And as a result, I think you have a duty as a product team working in that sort of environment to be bold as well. and. Uh, I think one of the things I see a lot today in other organizations is that teams often don't have a bold vision from senior leadership. I'm sure we've all experienced this where you'll say to a product team, where's the product strategy? Where are you heading to? Where's the destination? And they'll say, well, there isn't a business strategy. I would always argue product teams should step into the void. If you're trying to look great and impress your uh, sort of bosses, etc. Sort of taking a lead on that sort of stuff, where there's a vacuum, is a fantastic thing to do. But often um, teams can sort of get stuck in this weird, um, weird sort of. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's sort of a place where it's not clear where the direction is, so the team ends up just often tweaking or doing optimization, etc. So it's it's great if you've got a leader who's bold. Do you think that's something that people need to demonstrate in order to really properly progress into leadership careers? If I was to slightly rephrase that, um, I would say yes. So I think you don't necessarily have to be kind of uh, bold, but you do have to be strategic. And I think Mm. those two things go together. Um, and as you progress, I think when you start off doing product, often the jobs, the sort of starter jobs, or if you're a product manager, a lot of what you're doing is execution. And as you progress as a product leader, more and more of the work you do ends up being about the strategy, the direction. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I often think the execution is almost a hygiene factor. You have to be brilliant in execution. You cannot be a product leader who's great at strategy and have a team that's poor at execution. You're never going to be successful. Um, But you do have to be strategic. You have to be thinking about the long term, not just the short term pieces of work. And I would encourage anybody thinking about wanting to progress their career is how can you demonstrate that? Because one of the hard things about stepping up and taking a new position is that they want to see evidence that you're already using and possess those skills that they're going to be really calling for in the new role so things like strategy things like people leadership is another one you have to sort of try and demonstrate those even if you don't necessarily have the official responsibility for them that's always a a challenge i see for people is in product you are setting an agenda you're setting prioritization you're working directly with other teams but as we say it's all the all the responsibility and none of the power uh so you're depending on other people to actually do the execution to build it with you um are there any secrets to making sure you're good at execution what do you see as common characteristics for people who manage to make it work really well 
So I think if in that situation, I think you really have to make sure that there's fantastic alignment. So if you're reliant on a lot of people, and obviously product roles are, you're reliant on not just your engineers and your designers, you're often uh, reliant on other pieces of the organization as well. So I think it's really critical that you have alignment and often there's a really important role for the product manager to help ensure that alignment and that alignment can be a whole variety of things it can be is there alignment about the vision and the strategy as we said if there isn't then help fill that void uh, is there alignment on what the success measures are so is everybody pushing the same direction amazingly one of the things about doing consulting is you get to look inside lots of organizations and I'm always amazed that product and engineering teams have different metrics than other parts of the organization and sometimes these two things can actually they're not they they can actually almost be in direct conflict so let me give you an example for it's a it's a few years old now but I was doing a piece of work for a company and they had a really terrible terrible uh, problem with retention they were a they were a, a sort of telco company and they found that when people signed up that they would churn very very quickly and they formed a product team with the sole job of improving retention however the acquisition team who had nothing to do with the retention team they were measured and bonused on profit margins so their job was to sell the product but at the highest possible price to get a great margin and this was one of the fundamental reasons of churn because people would sign up and within 30 days they'd realize that there were much better deals out there in the market um, so the poor retention team really couldn't do anything unless the acquisition team so you had one team bonused on as i say the gross margin and you've got another team measured on retention but those teams were acting completely against each other so that was the sort of thing to sort out other things that need alignment are going to be things like um are you uh, spending enough time doing discovery are the teams really good at uh, alignment in terms of holding each other to account uh is there really good trust so i think it's really there's some very processy things like how you do discovery how you're working and ways of working but there are also some softer things that product managers really need to help build to help with execution like trust which is uh, a terribly hard thing to to build if it's been lost at any point in the past okay so we're going to ask you to uh, follow up on alignment and give us a peek behind the curtain and you don't have to reveal any names or betray any confidences but i'm curious when you're with the other people, uh, the other uh, leads uh, at board level or in the C-suite, what do they think the product team's job actually is? Because it often seems like there's a lot of confusion. So it depends on the company. Uh, there are plenty of companies who are really clear on what product management is and does and understands how they contribute to the success of the organization. But as we all know, Unfortunately, there's a whole bunch of organizations that really don't understand. So they probably have product teams and they have engineering teams and all those sort of things. But at the senior level, there may be 
misunderstanding of what product does. Uh, so it's that old chestnut where they might think they're more like project managers or they might think that they're more like a sort of traditional IT service department where you go and put your order in and something pops out a few weeks later. Uh, uh, so it's really tough in those in those situations. Um, and I think it's particularly tough on product managers because often they are at the forefront of having to try change but your senior leaders do need to understand what it is if if you have a ceo who is not really understanding what product is well it's it's going to be very hard for the team to be super successful unless somehow that team their leader can help educate the the sort of exec team um, and even if you ex manage to educate the exec team then you have the board so the board are even uh, my experience were that boards are even further away from understanding product and tech. So the typical board, um, because I get to work with boards as well as sitting on boards, the typical board is a lot older. You will have people who've come from a whole different range of industries. And it is perfectly possible that most people on the board, if not every single other person on the board, has never really had any experience of digital. So they don't understand. They don't know if you ask them what product is, they don't understand it. Now, it might be that they've worked for a more traditional company and they think um, product is uh, a completely different function. So let's say I'm on the board of Clark Shoes. They have a product management team, but they're the team that make the shoes. And that's probably right. But it causes confusion when you have another team that does a very different job that's called the same. So um, that doesn't help at times. So it's difficult. There's a lot of education to do. It is happening. There are more people like myself who are being appointed to boards. Um, interestingly, I think we were appointed initially because they thought they needed they they needed a digital person. But digital digital transformation is sort of peaked and where that's not so often mentioned nowadays. So now they want people with good product and tech experience. But I think they get the tech piece, but they often don't quite get the product piece. So folks like myself also have to do a lot of educating around the board table. Sprig, formerly UserLeap, is an all-in-one product research platform that lets you ask bite-sized questions to your customers within your product or existing user journeys. Companies like Dropbox, Square, Opendoor, Loom, and Shift all use Sprig's video interviews, concept tests, and micro-surveys to understand their customers at the pace of modern software development so they can build customer-centric products that deliver a sustainable competitive advantage. So if you're part of an agile product team that wants to obtain rich insights from users at the pace you ship products, then give Sprig a try for free by visiting sprig.com. Again, that's sprig, S-P-R-I-G dot com. I think that's really interesting that, um, that that's happening and it's great to get that insight as a product person working in a business where that is an issue and you feel like the that product isn't kind of well understood at the leadership level, do you think that there's anything in, you know, becoming expert at coaching upwards 
um, and kind of finding your your kind of career path that way? Or is it almost better to just join a, a company where product is better understood um, and then you can kind of move up through the ranks more easily because people understand better what you're doing and you're focused more on the job rather than educating that leadership team? So I'm a big believer if if I was to be sitting down and talking to somebody who's early on in their product career, I would encourage them to try both. Um, it's not it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think people who've only worked in companies that are doing transformation, uh, I really admire their tenaciousness and their perseverance. But actually, it's great to go and work for an organization where people understand technology, they understand the power of product. And it's a great thing to see how it works when you take all those impediments away. But at the same time, if you've worked in pure digital companies, it's great to go and help a company do transformation because you understand what good looks like and you can uh, help navigate some of the sort of weird Frankenstein versions of product that we sometimes see. Particularly, you see organizations that will say, oh, yes, we think we need this thing called product management. Um, we've asked the CFO to form a team or they'll put it under the marketing team and Often it starts in a very weird home, uh, given sponsorship by somebody who doesn't understand product either. So um, I think the other thing I would say is that for the piece about educating upwards, it's important to always be educating upwards, but it's not always possible. I don't wish to be negative here, but you can't give up on those firms that don't understand product, but it's often the battle can be won when there's a critical mass of people all trying to do it. So if you find yourself as the lone product manager in a large organization that doesn't understand and maybe even doesn't want product, well, I'm not saying don't give it a go. Please do give it a go. But you're not necessarily setting yourself up success if you are the lone voice, because unfortunately, you do need a critical mass of voices that will push from various directions to get that message through and it does get through and it can be really successful but it's it's really really tough yeah and and that's uh similar to another question that I was going to ask around you know when you're thinking about your product career is it do you find that it's better to work in one place and kind of you know uh, tackle all of the challenges of like setting up a very high performing product team and really work hard at that or is it better to kind of get a variety of experience in different companies so you can see how different businesses approach it because I think you know there's pros and cons to both but um, I've never really been sure as to whether it's it's better to sort of stay out very long term I you know or or have the variety of experience. So I'm not sure there's a, a right answer to that one. There's plenty of research that shows that people who are most successful in their career have ended up moving to different companies and they often move. They don't always sort of take a vertical step. They sometimes make a sort of horizontal step. So there's not one right answer to that. But at the same time, I think it's really great to have the experience of different organizations. I think about when I work with an organization, 
um, in many ways, I'm the product, I am a product myself of all the different things that I've done. And every role I've done, I've learned something and taken from it, and it makes me a better product leader for doing it. So I would very much encourage somebody to look at other organizations. I mean, we're in an incredibly privileged position because there are currently more product jobs than there are product managers. So unlike other careers, um, we probably have the luxury of being able to go and work for various organizations more than other other functional leaders or other um, people because we don't have to necessarily worry too much about the next job. Now, you always have to worry about getting the right job because finding a job you love is a really important component. But we do have the uh, privilege of there's lots of demand and not so much supply. So if you find yourself somewhere and it's not a good fit, then you don't have to stay there because you will find another job and there's all the good reasons for you to be brilliant at that other job. As a complete aside, I think one of the best pieces of career advice I was ever given, and this was actually when I was at eBay, uh, we had this amazing woman come and run our HR team across Europe. She's called Anami Rez. She now runs a company called Purple Beach. And they made all of us do, I can't remember the framework it was called, but it was all about understanding what you're good at and what you like. And it was a very different approach because I had up until that point worked for very traditional English organizations and those British organizations would, you do your annual review and at the uh, kind of annual review, they'll tell you the things that you were good at. They'll tell you the things that you weren't so good at. And then you might get some training on the things that you weren't so good at to make you better. Um, eBay had the completely different philosophy. They'd say, these are the things you're good at. And these are the things you're not so good at. Well, the things you're not so good at, we're not going to spend any time or training on those things because why would we invest to make you only mediocre at these? What we'd rather do is invest on the things you're good at to make you great at them. And then they also spent time to make sure that what, as I say, what you liked and what you were good at, there was a good overlap because we discovered there were people who liked doing things that weren't necessarily that good at them or they were really good at things that they didn't like. So for example, on my team, I had a product manager who was unbelievably amazing. And if I ever had a problem, I gave it to her because she could solve any problem, unpick any gnarly uh, issue, and she could always, always deliver. So when anything really difficult um, and troublesome landed on my desk, she would be the one to help sort it out. And it turned out when we were doing this exercise, she absolutely hated it. <laughs> there were elements of those sort of, she really didn't like those sort of, she was very happy to do it and she was really great at what she did. But those weren't the sort of product problems that she really enjoyed tackling. So in order to help retain her, and obviously to make sure she was enjoying her job, we kind of went, okay, we have to sort of slightly shift the types of, product um issues and topics and challenges that we're giving her so it was a really it was a really fantastic thing so anybody thinking about their career think about what you like think about what you're good at be quite honest with yourself and then where they intercede if you do that you cannot help but be really successful 
We did a, an episode a while back with Alicia Dixon, who had some really strong advice about working in larger organizations and figuring out how to, to advance. And one of the things she said is that was really important from, from her perspective was make sure that you uh, are not only competent at your job, but that you get attached to the sexy projects because you're never going to stand out on anything else. Is that really true? Is that what you have to do? Or is there a way of uh, working on the, the thing that's not necessarily the priority and still standing out? So if anybody listening to this could actually see my face, I'm, I'm probably grimacing a bit at, uh, at the moment because I really don't want that to be true. I, I really don't want that to be None true. None of us do. Is, no, it's actually, it isn't true. In my in my experience, in my opinion, it isn't true. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. If you happen to be on the big sexy projects uh, that have a lot of exposure to the exec team or outward of, uh, outside the organization, that's great. But um, I don't like the idea of a, people jostling to always try and be that person because um i don't know it, it's it's impossible to be on every single sexy project and actually the truth is what project you're working on even sometimes the really boring ones it's your job as a product manager to make sure you do a fantastic job so you can make if you're on a boring project well try and make it the big sexy project um because try and show how you're delivering amazing value. Weirdly, I would say some of the greatest work I've seen by teams is when something big goes wrong. So when I was at The Guardian, we moved our domain from guardian.co.uk to theguardian.com. Sounds simple, but actually it was a humongous piece of work. And it's everything that you don't want to be in a product project because it's a big bang once you flick the switch there's no going back and uh, what's really frustrating is that when you change your domain that nobody knows quite what's going to happen particularly um, uh, particularly when you were the size of the guardian and had as much google juice historical google juice that you did and when we did it it was a roaring success uh, we knew the traffic would go down but it didn't go down and it was amazing. And everybody was so happy. And then seven weeks in, suddenly the traffic went down. And the next day, it went down further. And the next day, it went down further. And the traffic went into kind of fairly major decline. And everybody was panicking. It was really tough on the team because it wasn't clear what was happening. Um, and the truth is, it wasn't any one thing. It was uh, It was several things that were all taking effect. And it took several days, if not weeks, to remedy, which we did. And there was, this problem became, it, nobody in the organization was talking about anything else about this problem. Because if you have a bunch of journalists whose stories are not getting in front of people, they get pretty upset pretty darn quickly. And uh, every morning at The Guardian, there's something called the morning conference where the editorial team discusses what the editorial agenda and the work they're doing for the day ahead. It's the meeting. And I was summoned to speak at that meeting. And before editorial even got into the agenda of the day, I had to give them an update. It was just everybody was really, really struggling with what was going on. But the team did an amazing job. They got their head down. Every time we found one of the other issues, they resolved it. And frankly, they earned more goodwill 
and confidence in those sort of days and a few weeks where they fix that big problem than probably the two years beforehand because they were just seen as very authoritatively um, going around doing their job and doing it brilliantly. And when all else were panicking, they were calm, methodical, and gave confidence to the organization that it could be sorted. So um, that example, I think, goes completely contrary to the being attached to the big sexy project because this was the this was the project that went horribly wrong for a period of time. But the team that solved it probably had more exposure and more goodwill than anybody else. So you have to be lucky enough to be on the big sexy project or avert a big sexy disaster. No, no, no. I don't think that's the message I want to take from that one. (laughs) No, I would say that whatever project you're in, make sure you're somebody who's demonstrating good judgment while making decisions, uh, can respond and anticipate quickly to problems and just uh, communicate the great work that you're doing, whether you're sort of creating value by doing something awesome or whether you're uh, saving value by helping to solve a rather thorny problem. So whatever project, you can stand out. Thank you. I think that's a much better subhead than than the other way version. (laughs) And Tanya, you've kind of given us a load of great tips for how to kind of uh, show that you're capable of um, that more strategic work and and working your way up into that leadership level. But what about kind of you know really breaking into the C-suite and moving into a C-suite position? What advice would you give to someone who really had that in their sights as like a position that they wanted to hold in the future and they're currently working in product? So we've touched on this, I think, a little earlier, but. I would say that anybody who wants that step, you always have to be demonstrating the skills for the next job. You've got to be ready for the next job. And for that sort of C-suite role, there are certain things that you need to demonstrate. So one, you've got to be great at communicating. So you have to make sure you're good at communicating, you're good at telling a good story. You've got to show your, as I've mentioned, you're good at problem resolution. You've got to show that you can lead teams. Now, a lot of people often say, I don't manage anybody. How can I get a job managing folks? Well, the great thing about a product manager role is that you work across the organization. Even if you're not managing a large team, you have the ability to be a leader, a virtual leader of a large team. So really show and demonstrate those sort of leadership potentials. And as I said, you need to also be really good at thinking about both the long-term innovation as well as the short-term optimization, that piece about strategy and execution. So um, it's a lot, but the good thing about the breadth of a product manager role is that you should be able to demonstrate all of that every week. That's very sound advice. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. We're out of time, sadly. It's flown by as usual, um, but it's been really fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful speaking to you today. Okay, Randy, so now we've got our careers back on track. Let's give people a sneak peek into some of the topics we've got coming up. Ooh, what do we have? What do we have? We have some 
very interesting chats around how to get your team organized and who should be doing what in the product function. We're going to be talking to someone about moving from product manager to founder. And we're also talking to someone who proves that your website sucks, I'm afraid, and there's data to prove it. I always suspected my website sucks, but I'll be glad to know what data to use to to prove it properly. (laughs) So subscribe, like, and check out the upcoming episodes. I hope you enjoy them. Talk to you soon. See you next week. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips. Mm-hmm.